welcome to episode one in our Diversity Faculty podcast series. I'm Laurie Ollivant, Senior Lawyer in the Employment and Incentives team, and I'm joined by my fellow Diversity Faculty members, Simon K. Davis, Counsel in the Employment and Incentives team, Daniel Danso, our Global Diversity Leader, and Nehal Rao, our Senior Client, DNI and Engagement Manager. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss pipeline promotion and retention, what we actually mean by this, the corporate governance side of those, and looking at this from the employee engagement, employer brand, and public reputation issues. So Daniel, to start with, can you tell us what we mean when we're talking about pipeline promotion and retention? Sure. Uh, Look, what we're talking about is creating a sustainable workforce that's representative, agile, and ready for the future. To me, the big issue isn't how to attract, which I think a lot of people focus on. It's really about the environment that we bring these diverse groups into um, and and how we inform the culture and the mechanics of the business to track how those groups are experiencing our business processes like equitable development, recognition and reward and promotion. Um, There's no use bringing diverse talent into an environment and system that will never welcome them. you know, when we think about what the, the pipeline will mean for future decisions, you know, think about the, the decisions that business leaders are making with the absence of some of the diverse groups that they're trying to decide for. Um, I think it has a, a real big uh, implication for diverse groups as they're looking up. So it's not just about uh, what we do to attract, it's, it's how we retain them and how we promote them in the environment that we do that in. Daniel, one of the things that we've seen lots of times in a business that identifies a diversity gap is that they will do a single senior hire from a diverse group, and that becomes their sort of flagship. For, for me, it's, it's more about inclusion down the line. So I think that although having a senior hire who comes in can help you, it can start your, your journey, actually, for someone coming in as a lateral hire, they won't know the business, they won't have social capital within the business, they may not know the workforce. So I, I think that the pipeline is absolutely invaluable as a way of fostering diversity and inclusion, and particularly inclusion, going right through the organisation. Yeah, it's interesting. So for me, I think about those three words, pipeline, promotion and retention, as really the building blocks or the, or the almost dominoes that sort of lead into each other. So you have to think about your pipeline and who is coming through your organisation if you want to have a group of people that you are going to retain and then if you want to have a group of people you are going to promote. So really they are all feeding into each other from my perspective and I think where people tend to um, to be a bit more siloed in their thinking is they think that those things don't really interrelate to each other and they very much do. So people might often think that the solution to a diversity issue in an organisation is to make one prominent senior leadership promotion uh, but not really thinking about is that person going to stay because of the inclusive culture you talked about Simon and then they haven't thought about what happens after that person leaves. So there really is a sustainability and a continuity piece to all of those those three words and you have to think of them all together because treating them as all different things, um, in my perspective, means that you are losing a lot of the investment you make into any one of those processes. Should we talk a bit about the governance framework? Mm. So <laughs> Enthusiasm all round. So the UK Corporate Governance Code kind of started us off down a journey. In July 2018, they introduced some new provisions 
looking at um, the, the board composition, but also the route to the board. And I think this is where this idea of the pipeline really first came into play. Um, so the UK Corporate Governance Code recognises that appoint appointments should be based on merit and objective criteria, and I'm sure we'll talk another time about merit and meritocracies, um, but also said within this context, the appointments should promote diversity of gender, of social and ethnic background, of cognitive and personal strengths, and suggested that organisations should put in place a nomination committee in order to make um, those appointments and to oversee the development of a diverse pipeline um, in order to allow smooth succession of diverse candidates. It also makes some requirements about the reporting that businesses are, um, have to deliver. So they need to share their policy on diversity and inclusion and link that to the strategy of the business as a whole. And they also have to declare their gender balance of the senior management and direct reports, so again, linking back to the, to the pipeline. And I think we're going to see more, aren't we, Laurie? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think the, the whole mindset around DNI having a, a very strong seat at the table on the corporate governance side has evolved over recent years, and it's continuing to evolve. But the inherent risk that comes with that is that some organisations will then treat these issues as a box-ticking exercise because they want to comply, they want to be doing the right thing, they want to be ticking off the right boxes to show that they are complying with the um, what's expected of them on the corporate governance side. And this concern's already been picked up by the FRC in last year's reporting round. So last year, the FRC specifically called out an actual need for better reporting by organisations on succession planning and diversity and board evaluation in the reports it was wanting to see in 2021. So in, at that point, it said that too often, the objectives of reporting in this space appears to be in compliance with corporate governance requirements, which is actually at the expense of proper effective governance and reporting. And so simply meeting the expectations isn't going to be enough. The FRC actually expects companies to do more than just perfect their own narratives. What it's wanting um, is to see more beyond just simply stating the importance of diversity at board level in a succession pipeline which then doesn't actually provide a meaningful explanation for how the board's going to achieve it in practice. So it's going to be interesting for us to see how the FRC thinks progress might have been made in 2021 when it looks back and publishes feedback on, on the reports and, and sets out what its expectations are for reports in 2022. So yes, it's not going away and we'll definitely hear more. Is it worth at this point also mentioning the, the next steps that we know about, the FCA consultation paper on board composition, suggesting, proposing 40% of the board should be women, um, at least one of whom is the chair, CEO, CFO, or senior independent director, and at least one board member should be from a non-white ethnic background. So those changes are also down the line, although only at the consultation phase. Um, and you know there is clearly more to more to come here as regulators get more interested. Definitely, and I think with with these types of issues, they've often been considered as part of HR or personnel issues in the past. And this is another example of how they're being elevated to more board and senior management position levels. Um, but we're also increasingly seeing how these issues can frame and shape employee engagement. So Daniel, do you want to tell us a bit more about how that works? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think we have to kind of acknowledge that diversity and inclusion has evolved. Um, and 
it's it's no longer this kind of fluffy thing sitting in HR, um, or, or no longer is it just purely seen for the lens of, of behavior, good and bad people, good and bad behavior, don't discriminate. Um, I think the reason why it's evolved so much and, and it's now in the minds of CEOs and boards around the globe is because it, it is quite clearly um, correlated now to everything from financial performance to market um, viability to market holding and branding. You know, it, it's, it is far outside of just behaviors. And so I think the engagement piece on that is so necessary because uh, the, the real drive for how a culture is going to become inclusive is going to come from the people that are in it. Um, and if, you know, the, the individuals that are in a business are not engaged, they're not educated, they're not provided the right spaces to figure out how they can be different in the context of the working culture than they might be able to be outside, you know, like that's the thing. They, we, we forget that, you know, we're taking regular citizens who can behave in any way they want to before they clock in. And we're expecting that when they clock in, they're co someone totally different. Um, and that takes work, that takes effort, that takes messaging, that takes tracking, it takes something that's a bit more sustained. So engagement, none of this is gonna work if it's just some edict held only in senior positions or if it's only being driven by like lower ranking grassroots culture, it's, it's got to be everyone, otherwise there's no point. Yeah, and for me, I think it's really useful to, again, just look at what the phrase employee engagement even means because people do toss it around a lot but um, probably don't think about what are the component parts of that. And, you know, one definition um, that people might rely on is that it's the workplace's approach to creating the conditions for all members of an organisation to give their best each day, to commit to the organisation's goals and values to be motivated to contribute to the organization's success and to do all of that with an overall sense of well-being. Now, that's a lot to achieve mm -hmm. from employee engagement and that can't sit with just an HR team who has you know, limited points of contact with all members of the business. They are surely a very influential stakeholder, but ultimately all of those factors are influenced by leaders at all levels of the business. So anybody and, and peers who operate around the individual. So I think it is interesting when you connect employee engagement and DNI to sort of think about back in the day when the workforce was not particularly diverse, it was probably fairly easy to come up with an approach that might motivate a fairly homogeneous group of people to uh, give, give their best and to be motivated. But now when you've got so many different people participating in the workforce, each of those people will be motivated by different things, will have a different sense of well-being, will have different conditions that they need to thrive and succeed. And so you need to have a diverse and inclusive lens in order to provide those conditions for employee engagement. Is it worth also just dwelling for a moment on the idea that it's not just the diverse group that benefits here and that feels more engaged when they're listened to and when they feel included. Actually, it feeds across the piece. I mean, the movements towards allyship and he for she are all really strong demonstrations that it matters to people who are not within the particular diverse group. And certainly, you know, among the workforce as it is now, I think you're getting some very strong views where if something damaging happens from a diversity perspective for one group, actually lots of other people care about it too. And it damages that engagement and that employer brand in a way which you know, is, is extremely harmful for the business moving forward. 
I, I mean, I, I would echo that, and I think probably the, <clears throat> the, the greatest innovation that we've got at the moment is technology and our connection to that. And, you know, today, a business, the, the thing that we've learned over the last, I'd say, 16 or so months is that our brands are no longer our own. Um, we have young people, and, and not even just young people, but everybody is, is so much more connected in the Internet than they were before, and we're living fuller lives. And that just means also that there's a, a less of a division that, than there used to be between our public and private lives. And so, you know, young kids that are coming in today into the world of work that are supremely connected socially, if they don't have the experience that we all profess they should have, they, they can tell anybody on the planet, let, you know, let alone their line manager. That we, we may, as, as businesses, be the last ones to know that they are feeling marginalized until it's probably too late. And so I think you know, it's, it's got to be understood that we are forever going to be exposed for what we do. And so I, I think the time for people to get excited about DNI is a bit over. I think now it's, it's the expectation is that we have been at this level for a long old time and we've got some very concrete demonstrable things that we're doing to move the culture. And that's what the expectation is from talent coming in. And that expectation does, um, again, influence the perceptions of the employer brand, not just externally, but also internally as well. So how people feel about an organization and what they associate with an organization um, is really what their brand is. And if a business is not behaving consistently with what it's saying externally, internal people will remember that and then your internal your, your employer brand internally is damaged, which goes to retention um, and p potentially progression. Um, but equally, as Daniel was saying, externally people have very high expectations of businesses these days to behave in a way that is consistent with ESG principles, which are now at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Yeah, let's, let's pick up on that. I think the ESG point is really important here. And we are seeing now investors wanting us to do not just the normal employment due diligence that we would do, you know, are there discrimination claims, what do the contracts look like? We're being asked more about the social side of ESG. What are the values of this organization? What's its culture like? What are the indicators of that culture? And all of that investigation for investors is really important. So I think this does come back to public reputation again and, and also feeding into the points we were making about employer brand. And this isn't something new for us as employment lawyers because we've always been aware of these issues becoming in the public domain very quickly once they become contentious because employment tribunal hearings are public. It's rare for them to be held in private and so they do often attract press and media attention. And we are increasingly seeing these issues attract regulatory attention as well as a number of different regulators across different sectors are becoming very consciously aware of culture within organizations within their sectors and also the issue of non-financial misconduct and the behaviors of employees and how that can impact an organization's culture. And so it's not just the general public and the press that are pushing this into a public reputation issue, but it's also on the regulatory and back to the governance side as well. So we've talked about a lot of different themes relating to pipeline, uh, retention and promotion. Um, by way of wrapping up, if I could ask each of you to give one suggestion for how you would advise businesses to start building this into their strategic approach, what might you say? Start with you, Laurie. 
Um, I, for me, I think an obvious and, and quite measurable way to do this is via reward and remuneration. So many organisations are already using non-financial metrics in their performance and remuneration assessments. As we're seeing investors, the media and other stakeholders are increasingly holding these companies to account for payouts which, whilst they might be meeting agreed financial or business targets, they, they can be considered out of line with DNI objectives. And so we're seeing more businesses use reward structures to try and encourage the behaviours which actually drive change in diversity. But th there is this whole other discussion we could have on this topic about whether that actually works in the long term and whether it really drives sustainable change as well as the legal and regulatory issues to consider around this issue as well. So we are going to hopefully touch upon some of those in one of our future podcasts looking at this topic. So watch this space for that one. I think for me, it's, you know, from a DNI side, it's really about creating the right level of platforms that people en masse can get into to do things that will make change. Um, because not everybody is going to have the same opportunities. We're not all leaders. We don't all, you know, so we're not going to have the same kind of um, potential to, to have the power to change some of the things, but we all have the opportunity to engage in them. Um, so I think, you know, create the right platforms for people to get involved. And the second thing with that, though, is they've got to be in a, a business and in a system or a team that allows them to get involved because there's no point in creating all of these things, but then you know their workload, their work life is so um, heavy that they can't even give you an hour to go to annual diversity training. There's no way that things are gonna be different. So not only you know creating the right platforms, but also think about the system that they're working in that, that will either allow them or not allow them to engage. But it's more than just allowing, isn't it? It's also actually recognizing that that input, recognizing participation in cultural and diversity initiatives so that people are not just spending their spare time in inverted commas, they're actually, it's part of their job to create the culture that they work in. And rewarding that active participation, I think is really important. Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, that's all we have time for today. Uh, if you do have any questions or comments on some of the issues we discussed today or some of the themes we raised we would love to hear from you diversity of thought does matter uh, and we obviously have more opinions to share on the topic thank you very much for listening to our debut podcast we do intend to release more so stay tuned for our next uh, podcast drop thank you very much